Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by one of the most exciting names in horror today. From his time with college humor to directing instant horror favorites like Scare Me and Werewolves Within, this guest has done it all. He's a prolific actor, director, producer, writer, and he's really an inspiration to independent filmmakers everywhere. Today, to talk about his brand new graphic novel, Darla, please welcome the insanely talented Josh Rubin. What's up? Thank you for having me. Oh, for sure. I'm really excited to talk about your new graphic novel. I, As I kind of introduced you as a filmmaker, where did the idea to do a graphic novel come from? Well, I was a comic book fan probably, oh, I'd say not long after I became a horror fan. Um, So if I became a horror fan around six or seven years old, I feel like by nine or 10, I started to really get into comic books, X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor, all the X's, um, and (laughs) Tales of the Demon, uh, Batman's graphic novel, that collection of stories, the Rajal Ghoul, like Saga, and so much Batman, um, none of which influenced um, uh, my current graphic novel, Darla, but I was a big fan of Tales from the Crypt. And I liked, um, although I didn't read many EC comics, I read some of like the Tales from the Crypt stuff for kids. They had these like books in the bookstore that were a lot of, a lot of pictures. And I, I feel like they were sort of repurposed for the youth or for like, for like YA readers. So years later, having read Charles Burns and Nick Dernazzo's Beverly I just thought like I would love to uh love to dive in and try the medium especially as somebody who's constantly trying to you know raise money with independent financiers to get his movies made it's like why not um uh take far more risk for far less money just pay an artist to collaborate and um and make something with uh as as little imposition from outside voices as possible and um brianna tippets had been sending me some fan art and tagging me and some fan art she made in my films over the years and i just thought like oh my gosh we have to work together i love that you mentioned a bunch of comic influences none of which influenced starla <laughs> what did influence starla Oh man, a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> I try to I try to answer this one delicately because I don't want people to think like I wrote like a woke book, like I'm Mister <laughs> like Mister Woke who's just like super upset with the red states. Um, I uh, <laughs> I love all people and love heartbreaking stories, and um, I did write this story or the inspiration for Darla first. Well, first I sort of conceived it as a film to kind of deal with this toxic dread that we're all feeling certainly here in the States when What's-His-Face was elected in 2016. And uh, to deal with that, I sort of wrote um, dark and bleak, you know, darkly comic, I guess you could say, about this irritable small town woman who became obsessed with a local politician who brought out the worst in her arguably the worst of herself that had already existed so it was a little bit of like what was happening you know politically and um socioeconomically in our world you know this is sort of a tale of like the white rural poor 
But, you know, I also grew up in a small town, sort of a slightly liberal small town that grew more liberal over the years. And they were sort of like bubble populations around my small town where, you know, I, with kids I would go to school with who I was friends with, but you talk to their parents and they grew up, you know, generations on their property and in that part of like an isolated part of the world. And they were like very set in their ways. You know, it, it's, it's sort of heartbreaking. And I wanted to write something that was a bit of a catharsis for for that fact that both like breaks my heart and pisses me off. <laughs> oh, I feel, I feel that. Is that something you've been kind of working with a while? Because um, as you were saying that I was thinking back to your film werewolves within, mm-hmm. and I think there are similar things happening in there as well. Oh yeah. I mean, that's probably why like a big piece of why I got the gig, you know, whatever you pitch on doing a movie, as a filmmaker, you know, they all ask you, well, um, or it's a really important, it's, it's an important point to stress why, why you're the best person for the job, why you're the one to best tell the story in any instance of Werewolves Within. Yeah, it's quite similar to Darla. I grew up in, in a small town where people are quite set in their ways. And in some instances, that's dangerous. And um, they were also folks who grew up many generations back, including my very own mother um, and her sisters and my grandparents, you know, that they, they had to compete were sort of a little more welcoming of the newcomers who, you know, people who'd come up from Brooklyn um, into this like micro climate, micro culture or this isolated culture and kind of, you know, that's what gentrification is. Um, so werewolves was, you know, my kind of going, Hey, I grew up in a town like this. I understand what it's like to be a townie and also be a newcomer. Um, also it's like a shy kid who, you know, um, was quite uncomfortable in his own skin. So there was like many sort of layers to it. Oh, Darla, it was like, let me, let me turn up the heat on this idea and on this type of character and just do something like wickedly, darkly, uh, funny hopefully wickedly and darkly funny, um, uh, or funny in a very dark kind of bleak way. It just makes me glad that like Ari Aster is making a comedy, which I just saw Bo is afraid and thought it was so brilliant. Um, but we live in a world where, you know, movies like that can split people down the middle. And I I'd like to think that at the very least, Darla will evoke feelings <laughs> from people for sure. Strong feelings. I'm, I'm very excited to read it when it comes out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm excited for I'm excited to see what people what people make of it. For sure. And it's funny, uh funny thinking about how it can possibly create uh, a diverse reaction, to put put it delicately. Especially when it feels like when you go on like Twitter and stuff, everything seems so polar opposites now. It truly is. I mean, it's become, you know, something of a toxic town hall. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess I guess to that degree, it's like another reason why I, I had to write a story like this is just kind of my my sense and take of of um, of this kind of toxic, this toxic population that's emerging. I think the important thing you have to do as a storyteller is not like not necessarily take either side. Um, I mean, in this case, it's like I, I, I just wrote something recently, another article. Uh, or an interview I was doing about Darla where I was just like, I, I am both heartbroken for her, I feel for her, and I also fucking hate her. Um, <laughs> I, I hate her so much, but I also like have completely felt her isolation and completely know what it's like to feel like you're not being seen and you're not being heard. And that's sort of the tragic thing about these types of characters. And also just like about people just like 
shouting um, uh, uh, toxic vitriol into like the Twitter sphere. There were there was there was I've had a few toxic fans in, in my history, especially coming out of like college humor and just being a comedian mm-hmm. in general. You know, you push buttons and stuff. I'm not much of a button pusher, but when when I have, it certainly um you know gotten some reactions out of folks that that were not quite savory. But whenever they got super dark or you know what some might consider scary i don't always interact with them but i definitely like to be like you know hey are you okay you know just kind of just ask like hey like i i I imagine if you're i get it you're talking to me like this maybe we don't see eye to eye but i just want to know like you know typically when when i've been hurt i want to hurt other people or i make hurtful comments it was kind of embellishing um, but the fact is true. And then that's quite disarming. People kind of go, oh, shit, you see me, you know, maybe no, they don't say that literally, but that that is often what um, what breaks the the spell um, sometimes. And I think that's that's a really important thing to do. Yeah, because I think if we can just learn how to have conversations again, uh, a lot of problem. Well, I don't know about a lot of problems, but it'd be a step forward at the very least. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I don't know if this if this graphic <laughs> novel will bring the world together, but I'm uh, I'm I'm, I'm uh, excited to, to exploit that part of my brain and very eager to see what what uh, the Twitterverse will think of it before I get canceled forever and ever. <laughs> well, I don't know about if anything can really change the entire entire world. I have a thesis that Jaws changed the entire world, but that yeah, I'll go on for. T- two hours on that so we'll 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 go move my on favorites. from that yeah oh, i mean there's too, a reason man. why so many of us i mean from i don't know uh lee winnell to the up-and-comers who are you know just graduating college reference it so oh, yeah but um game changer oh yeah and i always tell people it it didn't just change the industry it kind of changed biology because a lot of people really hated sharks. And I think mm-hmm. after that movie, and I think um, not intentionally, of course, but that did have a negative impact on uh, on sharks throughout the years. But then now we have yeah. so many people who grew up fascinated with the movie and they become scientists and biologists and they're studying sharks. And we have Shark mm-hmm. Week and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, cha- it changed. It changed quite a bit, at least like brought awareness to the ecosystem. And, you know, Shark Week is, is ultimately positive and impact in an impactful way for for that ecosystem. Thank God. Uh, but yeah, it right. also uh, <laughs> scared the crap out of a lot of us, unfortunately, too much. Um, so and uh, so anyway, it's 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 good stuff. So I I don't know um, what kind of impact Darla will bring, but as long as it impacts <laughs> someone and they get a like they have like a real conversation like uh you change one life you change the world you know <laughs> yeah i think i'm going to change so many lives and i think ultimately the yes. world absolutely you see you you got to manifest that <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right and and how exactly first jaws now darla it's uh <laughs> not you got the game changers but yeah i'm I'm so excited for it. You mentioned the artist, uh, Brie Tippett earlier. Yeah. Can you talk about her for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Brianna, she 
she she's this young artist who has such incredible vision and she, she again i mean just to kind of signal boost her work to me would tag me you know as she does with with um some of the folks who who have recognized her i think in our in the horror community and the really the film community beyond she she will very smartly draw these this incredible artwork and tag you know whether the filmmakers or the actors and such and she did it for i think for first for scare me is when i first noticed her and then when i started ta- talking to boasting how much i love dark man she sent me dark man stuff and you know dark man fan art <clears throat> then for werewolves she did more beautiful work and i just said then at some point we were exchanging addresses or she said you know i'm going to mail you some original art and i give my address she sent me such beautiful stuff and had eventually sent me her book rictus uh, which is this almost Charles Burns-esque kind of um, ghost story um, with an It Follows sort of vibe and uh, or like a scary stories to tell in the dark kind of vibe. Really, really freaky imagery. And I just thought, okay, like I'm holding this physical thing, this incredible book made completely individually by an artist who did her coloring, her inking, her lettering, everything, um, hand drew it. And is just selling this book on Etsy, and I was like, I want to do that. That 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 was just the goal. Let's just make a book and put it on Etsy. I didn't, you know, have any fancy kind of dreams for it. And um, you know, we were just talking. Hey, would you be interested in a collaboration? Yes, I love Rictus. We could just put it in a shop, you know, and just split everything or whatever. And um, that's how we got going. You know, I I had originally conceived Darla as a script, and I gave the story to her, and I was like, you think you can translate this thing in a graphic novel form? And she's like, I'm gonna give it a try. And she just like blasted through hand drawing pages and essentially um, turning our story into uh, into a graphic novel. So you know, essentially, the first pass of it was riddled with dialogue and text bubbles, which we've since trimmed out. But it was, it's it's been an incredible collaboration. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's 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 pretty incredible. Um, and you know, again, it's just like what a, what an amazing world we live in, where you can just like. You can be an artist living in the Midwest. Um, I think she's in, I think she lives in Nevada now. Um, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm like for all intents and purposes, like some movie making dude. And uh, we are working together. We have never met in person. We're working completely on Zoom and email and um, text. And we have created this thing that um, I brought to my buddies, uh, Mike Perkins and Kevin Miller, who founded Invader Comics, they're an independent comic publisher and distributor, and they were like, "Yeah, this is this is awesome. We we wanna we wanna distribute this." And it's just like, "Wow!" So the momentum builds. Much like when I made Scare Me, my goal wasn't to get into Sundance. My goal was just to make a movie. Let's just yeah. make a movie to say we made a movie, and we made it. Did the best thing we could, put in the best work we could, and our best foot forward. And and it's just the momentum grew and grew and regardless of what happens with this book i just you know we we made it out of passion so let's let's see what happens and i think that's the best way to that's the best way to make anything really is out of passion and yeah uh, scare me is one hell of a picture i love that movie i'm a fan of werewolves within for sure although i have to say i'm very biased i love werewolves I mean, same. I I would I would I would make like a werewolf movie a year if I could. They're the, they're the, probably the the monster that freaks me out the most. Oh, I just think they're so cool. But what about werewolves freak you out? 
I think just the fact that like the symbolism of the monster within that we all mm-hmm. we all can go primal. We all have a an id and maybe even like a, a, a primal dangerous murderous id in us because we're we're animals and just turning that human element up a thousand degrees and um, getting a little body horror in there and then just thinking about the brute force of you know, what a werewolf is and the the myth of the lycanthrope and, and uh, the context when they come out, a dark, foggy, moonlit night. I mean, it's just everything about it freaks me out. I, I think that's one of the first VHS covers that freaked me out was American Werewolf in, in, um, in London. Just that, you know, um, those that werewolf, that set of werewolf eyes and that full moon on that VHS tape, probably more than monkey shines. Just there's, there's so much about it that they got under my skin. I mean, from from American uh, Werewolf to uh, to Silver Bullet, even. I mean, you know, you look at it now; he looks like a big teddy bear. But boy, did that freak me out! Wow, I I'm so glad we're talking about werewolves. I love them <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, while we're on the topic, you you did mention American Werewolf in London, which is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Um. I think that film and other a lot of werewolf movies now that I think about it really do a great job towing the line between comedy and um horror and I think your mm-hmm. film Werewolves Within does that as well. Um I I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to be talking about Darla but the werewolf no, thing just You're came out. My language. <laughs> um but I'm thinking about like obviously Werewolf in London. I'm thinking the Howling there's this movie, uh, I'm blanking. Uh, it's a Canadian movie from the 90s. I, I don't know if it's trying to be funny, but I thought it had like a really cool sense of humor. What's it called? Was it called Bad Moon? <gasps> yes. Yeah. With oh, the Bad dog. Moon is one of my, so Bad Moon, based on the book Thor, um, about yeah. the hero dog. Um, Bad Moon is probably my primary visual reference for Werewolves Within. I wanted to match the anamorphic, like lensing, um, the color palette. I thought, it's actually a beautiful movie, and there's some really, I really love good it. werewolf effects in it. Truly, oh, yeah, I, it's, a, it's legit. Yeah, I love that movie because I think it's one of my favorite werewolf designs too. Like it's so scary looking, yeah, and they get it some. It really is. They get some glorious hero shots of that wolf. <laughs> yes, they really, really do. And actually, like, a pretty pretty cathartic ending, too. I mean, it's yeah. what a great idea. What a great take. It's like, you know, a silver bullet had a kid in a wheelchair. So, you know, a differently abled kid being the hero in Bad Moon. It's like a boy and his dog taking on this horrific um, creature of the night. It's just a great way in. It's a really awesome angle. Like, I criminally hadn't seen some of the more traditional werewolf movies like the howling I watched before making um, werewolves within though. I hadn't seen it growing up. Um, I think I probably would have loved it even more if I'd seen it younger, um, but bad moon I'd seen growing up silver bullet. I'd seen growing up. I, I had criminally not watched American werewolf in London until after I watched werewolves. I watched it probably less in the last two years and it just blew my brain. I mean, I just thought, Holy shit, this movie was so ahead of its time comedically. Oh yeah. Um, forget about all the you know the, the famous werewolf transformation scene and everything else just like frank the frank oz uh dialogue as the doctor just the timing of his line <laughs> with the, the timbre of his voice like oh my god um and then the violence juxtaposed to yeah. the violence and griffin dunn's yeah, i mean it was just it was really really well done 
as and everybody it, knows. Oh yeah, <laughs> as everybody in the world knows. <laughs> but no, I I one hundred percent agree. I think it's one of those films that I saw at the right age. I can't remember exactly mm. when I first saw it, but I saw it when I couldn't handle horror movies yet. Um, <laughs> I've always been a monster kid, but I haven't always been a horror fan because growing up, I was scared of everything. But once I got yeah. older, that's when I like real. Wait, I like this. I like uh the scariness and stuff. But like American Werewolf in London just blows my and I watch it at least once a year. I think it's it's very influential for me when I do my um shorts and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's just kind of like that magical balance of tone or not even balance of tone. It's just its own unique tone. I don't know how it does it. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly. I, I know it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's everything. It's the same way it all, everything, um, everything great that rises to the top. It's just vision, you know, yes. Landis had such, um, such an astute vision such a specific vision and it it voided its show it's like Ari Aster with his films it's like boy like you were uncompromising with your vision I and that's that's all you can possibly aspire to the tricky thing is you know not to get too into the weeds about it it's just like fighting for that vision and proving yourself along the way as, as you know tooth and nail um and and just praying that you get across the finish line that's why they say movies are miracles you know yeah well, you've pulled off two miracles already. You just did a graphic novel, which um, I've never made a graphic novel. So if that if making that's a miracle, I would say it is, you know, so yeah, you're, do- you're so. doing you're doing the work, man. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like I'd say way uh, way more attainable, way easier than trying to raise I don't know, or spend say twenty or thirty thousand dollars to make a short film. It's like, what if you could spend a fraction of that and give it all to an artist and just kind of conceive a story and then like get it out to bookshelves, you know, or put it in your Etsy store or sell it on your whatever your 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 Instagram page. Just make art and make it make it. Um, I was I was gonna say make it quickly, but I meant to say like you know and make it uh, without outside voices. You know, make it with no scrutiny. Just get it out. Um, and do it. We were so lucky to be able to do that. It was such a such a wonderfully quick turnaround. You know, we worked about as quick yeah. as Brianna wanted to, which was which was pretty rad. That's awesome. When this episode comes out, it will be before May thirty first. I know that much. This will come out in May. Um, cool. So can you can you tell everyone where they can find Darla? Because at this point, I don't think it's out yet. It's not out yet. It's um it's available to the public and for uh and to order May thirty first, twenty twenty three. I believe if right now, if you go to invadercomics.com, there's a place to, or at least uh, if there isn't a place right now to hit a pre order, you can uh, keep checking Invader Comics, especially the closer we get to our release date on the thirty first. Um, but um, if I can get my hands on a pre order link, I'll get that to you. But uh, May thirty first. Keep your eyes peeled. Darla's coming. Yes, that's going to be so much fun. And everyone listening, if you haven't already, you got to check out Scare Me. I believe that's on Shudder. You have to check out Werewolves Within, especially because, you you know, we're all werewolves fans, werewolf fans. So <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, is there anything else coming up for you? Uh, well, I announced um, a sci fi 
thriller uh, with Tatiana Maslany from um, She-Hulk and Orphan Black, as well as Jasmine Savoy Brown from the new Scream films. And I'm so excited about it. Um, so that is in sort of early stages. Um, the script is brilliant and written by Aaron Harwitz and the film's actually produced by um, Andy Harwitz who founded this new awesome banner called Big Swell. Um, so we are, we are really, really gunning to make this movie happen in 2024, but it's, uh, it's tough out there. It's tough out there to, you know, ask people for millions of dollars to, you know, make something um, fun and funny and dark and, uh, and scary sometimes, but you think in the world, uh, a world post-barbarian, um, <laughs> we'd be in place right. by now, but movies, movies are indeed a miracle, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that we'll, we'll be in production pretty soon. I mean, there's some other stuff swirling I can't quite talk about yet, but um, <laughs> you know, to, to have uh, to have um, Darla just uh, just coming out to be promoting a new piece of art. That's that's all I really am excited about. Oh, it's it's awesome, and I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to I can't wait to read this as soon as it comes out, and I can't wait to watch everything else that comes out. So, oh, thank you so, so much, and I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Josh for coming on to the show. It was so cool to talk to someone who I look up to and gush about werewolves with them. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I watched the newer release Kids vs. Aliens and the Roger Corman classic Little Shop of Horrors. Not the musical. So... Kids vs. Aliens, uh, I just saw it on Shudder, seemed right up my alley, and for whatever reason, I just didn't get into it. I never really connected with the kids, I wasn't a big fan of the aliens, so it did not work for me. That being said, I really liked the color, I liked what they were going for. On paper, the movie works for me. Maybe I wasn't in a great mood when I watched it, so I'd be down to try it again, but now I wasn't feeling it on a first watch. It's an indie movie, so I want to be a little nicer than something that has a lot more resources behind it. You can tell this was made with love and that the people who made this really put their heart and soul into it. So, watch it, have your own opinion on it, and like I said, there do- it does a lot of things I theor- theoretically should like. For whatever reason, it just wasn't for me. So, you make a movie called Kids vs. Aliens, I'm going to watch it. So, I appreciate the swing, for sure. I also watched The Little Shop of Horrors, Roger Corman, um, not the musical Rick Moranis version, which um, I also watched this on Shudder. I was scrolling through and I was like, you know, I've never seen this version and it was it was pretty good too. Um, <laughs> it was one of those uh, shoot it quick, shoot it cheap type of movies and uh, yeah, it shows, but it's zany, it's kooky, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I have to say I prefer the musical version because I grew up with that version. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I ever saw the original. But, yeah, it's just a killer concept. So, 
Still works. Still works indeed. Since this episode is shorter than usual, I decided to give everyone a sneak peek of some of the bonus episodes on the Patreon. So if you're not subscribed on my Patreon, you're uh, this is what you're missing out on. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if you like this podcast, I strongly encourage you to check out the Patreon. I have three tiers of $5, 10 and $20, and they are all chock full of bonus content. And I understand not everyone can pay five bucks a month or more, and that's okay. It, I'm not trying to pressure anyone into giving money they don't have. I'm just saying, if you don't know, maybe you, if you have the money, you might like this, you know? And uh, even if you just share the crap out of this podcast and this Patreon, that would help me tremendously. And you can do that for free. But if you can spare a few bucks a month, that would mean the world. It will truly help this podcast to grow and for it to grow exponentially. So please enjoy these three excerpts from the first three bonus episodes of Patreon, which if you become a patron, you can listen to these in their entirety, plus a new bonus episode every month. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, Patreon edition. The show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. On this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inaugural. Mm, inaugural Patreon bonus episode. I am joined by dear friend of the podcast, uh, one of my favorite returning guests, you know her as the horror writer, the horror podcaster, and the TikToker known as Horror Hellion, my friend Vanna. Hello. I'm so well, happy to be back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, today's episode is going to be a fun one because we are talking about our dear friends who lives in the house of a thousand corpses they may be devil's rejects and uh shit i already forgot the third one it's the fireflies captain spaulding otis baby the other ones <laughs> yeah, there's a whole slew of them <laughs> but those are the three those are the three that we focus on in this trilogy i can't believe i forgot well in my defense i'm just gonna rip this band-aid off now i've never seen the third one i know it came out kind of recently yeah i think like 2019 ish that could be wrong i know that's when it came to shutter but yeah it's a pretty recent one um it was i think after sid haig's death too um oh. so we, we don't even get most of the fireflies present um we do get the addition of another character in order to like kind of keep like a trio kind of gang going in that movie like three from hell but um yeah i'm pretty sure there might be clips of him in the film but i think that was around when he passed unfortunately rest in peace uh okay because I don't remember any of the promotional material, so I'm not sure. I know of its existence, but it, I, I guess it just wasn't on my radar when it came out. 
Yeah, I watched it during like COVID. So um, I don't necessarily remember before that, like, but yeah, I think I, I was like really deep. I have had Shudder for so long, but I was really deep into like trying to keep up with like Shudder releases. And I remember that because they put the whole trilogy on as well as some of uh, the other Rob Zombie movies that he did, like Lords of Salem, I think. They like put a bunch of Rob Zombie stuff on like in promotion of Three from Hell being put on Shudder, if I remember correctly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I remember... That makes sense because I remember the um, House of a Southern Corpses and Devil's Rejects being on Shudder for a bit. So when I went to rewatch House of a Thousand Corpses uh, the other day, it wasn't on Shudder and I had to go find it. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Three from Hell is still a Shudder exclusive, but the okay. other two are just on Tubi right now, unfortunately. Yeah, I I had to find I had to find it. And this is why I don't like streaming services even though I love Shutter. I love Shutter, but I but, hate the little dance we got to do every time I want to find a movie, I got to Google it cuz it's different every time. Mhm. Exactly. And like I thought this was supposed to be better than cable. Yeah, it's like at this point, it's like the same thing, like, but worse. It's like the same thing in the sense that, like, I have to, instead of paying a package to a TV provider to give me all the channels, I got to pay for all the channels separately. (laughs) And it's dumb because the channels are competing with each other. Like, uh, this yeah. this is why this is why physical media is the best. Yeah, it's like fun. It is nice sometimes. I don't have to get up if I want to like marathon some movies. It it was cool for a little while when it was a lot more like groundbreaking to have streaming services offer like such a huge library and there are still some really great things that you can find that you maybe wouldn't normally be exposed to because it's not something that your video store would carry but I do love the like comeback of physical media I have been slowly growing my collection after getting a region free blu-ray player so very excited about that and I that's awesome I feel like every day something happens that affirms the need for physical media like with all the stuff with HBO going on and just stuff like that. Like every day I'm like happy that we are part of a community that values physical media, you know? Exactly. Cause here, here's my thing. It's like, how do I want to say this with the streaming services? I do like, like you said earlier, the novelty of potentially having anything you want at your fingertips but the corporations behind these streaming services instead of being like hey there's a handful of streaming services out there netflix hulu i forget what they started warner brothers instead of um 
striking deals with these already established things, uh, streaming services, they're like, well, we'll just put our own. We'll make our own. Instead of making bank off of Netflix. Yeah. It's a... It's been an interesting thing to see, like, the way it's progressed since. Like, now every channel that was, like, a premium channel back in the day has their own service. And right. it's, it's but And then it's weird because then, because of, like, partnerships, too, like, you can get Paramount Plus with a Showtime edition instead of just getting Showtime and all these other things. And then, like... Hulu, you can add HBO or you can add Showtime or you can add all of these other right. things. Have Amazon, which like because of Amazon's like model, it makes more sense with Amazon, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's wacky. And like and these studios would rather make their own stream like Paramount Plus or Disney Plus instead of making the streaming services like you know, pay for them. And now casts and crews are screwed out of residuals because streaming is so novel. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things with uh HBO's whole issue is that like now certain things are being taken off HBO because they don't want to pay. Like even an HBO original like Westworld is being taken off HBO. And it's like that. Like, I was talking to my sister about it, and we were like, explain it to me like I'm three years old, because this is not making sense. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's because these corporations are not led by artists. It's led by businessmen. And businessmen, at least to me, seems like they only see the short term. Yeah, it's like the the novelty of streaming is being weaponized against cinephiles instead of being used as something that's like embracing the community, I guess, if, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's like things are being like dangled in front of us instead of like being gifted to us. I don't know. It's like we already pay for the service, like... And now they and these companies like Netflix and Hulu, they don't want to participate with physical media when they'd be making so much more money. Like if they I've said this on an earlier episode of the podcast, but if Hulu put Prey out on Blu-ray. Yeah, Prey would make so much money on the home market. You'd still get the subscribers, you know, to watch. Like, you're not going to lose subscribers. The people who are buying the physical copies already have the service. Yeah, I think that's what's not clicking is that, yes, I do have certain films on Blu-ray or even VHS. But because I do have your service... I'll still go watch it on your service if I don't feel like getting up and popping in the Blu-ray. You make me use my physical media when you take it off because you're competing with other services and jumping. it's jumping services. Then you're making me use an alternative. Like, 
I don't think they're understanding that like the thing those two things are not like mutually exclusive the same people who are subscribed to you are the same people who will still also buy the physical copy because we want to have both <laughs> like exactly and you're not gonna lose a subscriber if if like we'll take hulu for example again if you put Hellray the new hellraiser on on uh blu-ray you're not gonna lose money if there's like okay new hellraiser comes out say i don't have hulu i think their reasoning is well now i have to subscribe to hulu well if hellraiser hellraiser is the only thing i wanted i'm just gonna you know have it for the free day you're not getting any of my money yeah i'm using a trial or i'm asking someone for their email address exactly At the very most, if I forget about the trial, I pay seven bucks that month and then I delete it when that charge hit. Or you could drain me of 30 bucks right then and there. Done deal. Everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh... Hello, Patreons. Thank you for subscribing. And now you get to listen to this exclusive Would You Die Patreon episode. Joining me today. For a spoiler-filled Ghostface Bonanza episode, we're talking Scream 6, and knowing us, we're talking Scream 5, Scream 4, Scream 3, Scream 2, maybe the TV show, and of course, the OG Scream. This is the Scream Team. Uh, Myself, Mariah Mata, and Eric Barassa. Woo! (laughs) Thanks for having us, Austin. Uh, my pleasure. I I'm I did freeze for a second. I am back. <laughs> you are back, and you are back in black. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yes, welcome, Scream Team. How are you guys doing today? Pretty great. How about that fucking introduction, which I just ad libbed. <laughs> it was amazing. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so everyone listening, this is going to be spoiler heavy for every Scream movie, duh, uh, but especially for Scream 6. Scream 6 is still a little recent, so if you're listening to this, you haven't seen Scream 6, you might want to see it. Maybe. Recommend. (laughs) Uh, let's get right into it. First things first, what did you guys think of Scream 6? I loved it. (laughs) I was shocked. Uh, I'm not a big fan of five. I still like it. So I, I didn't have too much faith going into this one, but it's easily my third favorite screen movie now. I hyped it up too much, but I still ended up loving it. Um, I ended <laughs> up calling every single killer. So that was kind of shocking for me. But yeah, loved it. <laughs> I also loved it. I saw it three times in theaters, which I know is rookie numbers compared to some of us in this video chat room. Uh, I've only seen it four times. I've only seen it oh. twice. <laughs> oh, I'm, ca- I'm catching up. Yeah, with uh, Scream 6, I, I, I loved it too. Obviously, I saw it three times. And I think it's funny. I called one of the Ghostface Killers on this podcast. It was uh, Eric. It was your episode, right? It was indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so I called it, but 
I don't know. I like when I call it because it makes me feel smart. I've never been two. right ever, <laughs> except for this movie. And somehow I got even the wild card. I don't know. Yeah, no, that is insane. I don't know how you got Jason. Yeah, but even when um <laughs> Quinn <laughs> died, I was like, oh man, I was wrong. But we didn't see her death in real life. So I should have caught that, but still called it. That's the one that got me really good. I was Something I saw before the movie came out was an uh, interview with uh, Dermot Maroney where he said that his daughter dies in the movie. And I completely just believed him. And so when she died, I was like, oh, yeah, there she goes, finally. And was not expecting her to take off her mask. When she showed up the end, at the end, I was taken aback very far. It's funny because in the moment when they were doing the reveals, I knew it was um, Daddy-O, um, Detective Bailey. I didn't see Ethan coming. Because I thought he was busy um, taking Mindy to the hospital. So, but as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh my God, that's Richie's brother. Like, this is a family thing. And then there was like the other one. And when Sam goes, Mindy, I was like, okay, it can't be Mindy. This girl's obviously going to be, or this person's obviously going to be white. Um (laughs) But I was not expecting Quinn. And I love uh, Jenna Ortega's line where it's like, you didn't see that coming because you were fucking dead. <laughs> oh, man. I'm proud of myself for, uh, I got uh, Ethan, but that was before the movie came out. I think I told both of you this. Uh, he's wearing the same shirt that Billy's wearing in Billy's first scene uh, when he crawls mm. in Sydney's window. And then, of course, he's wearing like a little bit of flannel. So like the flannel theory. But the moment I realized his shirt was the same as Eve or uh, Billy, I was like, yeah, it's it's definitely him. I knew it was Ethan when I saw, I think it was like a premiere photo of Richie and him together. And I was like, oh, they kind of look alike. And then I was like, oh, maybe they're related in the movie. But then, I don't know. It was all just a huge guess. But I'm pretty gullible. So when um, Detective Bailey said... It's Kirby. She's not with the FBI anymore. She's crazy. I was like, oh my God, it's Kirby. I'm so, I'm too gullible. Well, I, I didn't fall for that because I'm not a fucking noob, but um, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be mean to Eric. I'm sorry, Mariah. It's all good. <laughs> it was, it was gentle scream team ribbing. That's what yes. that was. But um, where the fuck was I going with that? <laughs> I'm a dumbass. Um, but no, I remember I didn't fall for the Kirby fake out, but I can't lie, I was not suspecting Ethan at all. I didn't even notice him in the promo materials, and I didn't really <laughs> register him as a character until like halfway through the second act. So <laughs> Yeah. Something I uh so Technical difficulties, listeners. <laughs> Welcome back. We're jumping right into it. So I don't know what we were talking about, but I'm sure it was Scream related. Something I wanted to bring up with you guys is I have a critique of Scream 6. Go ahead. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> now, it doesn't really affect 
my enjoyment of the film. It's still like a four star movie for me. But did you guys notice how people like withstand so much brutality and yeah. don't die? Yes. I see your issue with it. I'm glad certain people didn't die, but I think if they were going to go that route, they should have toned it down a little bit to make it realistic. So, yeah, I'm mad at it, but I'd rather keep the characters for at least another movie. But... And I agree with that. And also, I think it's an issue that affects the the series as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. Dewey should have died multiple times before he eventually does in five. Mm-hmm. And then Tara's, you know, stabbed seven times in five. Stu withstands a bunch of punishment in the first one. Yeah. But with this one, I feel like, well, the Gale, for me, when they stabbed Gale, and then they did like the thing where it's like, she does like that kind of um, slow, like slowly passing out, and you think she's dying. I'm like, Okay, you don't have to do it like that. I get they want us to be like, oh, no, not Gail. But I think it's cheap. Yeah. Like with the Chad thing, it was brutal. I was like, he's for sure Mm -hmm. gone. It was more brutal than his first incident in Scream 5. But somehow he lived. I, again, glad. But there's literally no way. I was so convinced that he was a goner. Right. And... No, I agree. And it kind of lessens the impact of seeing two ghost faces together because that yeah. was cool. And when uh, they both my did the. Dropped. Yeah, because when they both did like the knife wipe. The knife wipe yeah. was my favorite part of that scene. It was so right. cool. Right. <laughs> uh, what do you I'm, think, Eric? I'm just glad they didn't kill one of the core four, if I'm being so serious. Uh, I think it's a really good homage to Randy in a way, because still to this day, we have people on Twitter being like, I'm glad they did, or I wish Randy never died. Like they wanted to see Randy go on to other movies. And I see this as them not killing their Randy as a a character that we might want to see go forward, which I want to see Chad and Mindy keep going, especially after this movie. Yeah, because like, I I think Mindy's kind of like the Randy, Chad's kind of like the Dewey. And then... Tara and Sam are kind of like halvesies on Sydney, maybe? Yeah. I I don't see a Gale in this group. No. Hello, Patreons. Welcome to the Would You Die Patreon podcast. You know me, I'm Austin Torres. And today, I am joined by returning six-time guest, the undisputed would you die champion of the world that's my uh that's my best bruce campbell announcer voice it's not very good but i'm also not bruce campbell anyways co-host on the of the people under the scares podcast he even has his own awesome youtube channel bobby likes it spooky you know him you love him bobby torres I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm happy to Welcome be back. Welcome back. Yes, yes. And I love having you. And I'm excited here. because you know what we're talking about today. Yes. 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 <laughs> we are talking the evil fucking dead. 
Mm-hmm. So fucking excited. We're talking Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2013, Ash versus Evil Dead, and of course, <laughs> Evil Dead Rise. Spoilers for everything, including the new movie, Evil Dead Rise. Let's get yes. into it. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I love this franchise so much, so I'm happy to talk about this whole thing. I am as well, but let's let's rip the Band-Aid off right away. What did you think of Evil Dead Rise? Okay, so I've seen it twice now, Ooh. and I'm, yeah, I've seen it um over the weekend, like right after I recorded with Mike and Tyrone on our podcast, and I've seen it again, because I said I have to see it again. Only because I wasn't too sure how I felt about it after I left the first time. I will say I had a lot of fun. It was very entertaining. I had a good time. Alyssa, Alyssa Sutherland, who plays Ellie, Mama Didite, just chef's kiss. Amazing. Scary, terrifying, even some parts funny. I loved her a lot. The gore is a very gory movie. It wouldn't be Evil Day if it wasn't gory and bloody. Um, I love the environment because it's now in a high-rise apartment rather than your typical cabin in the woods. There was a few things I did have a problem with, <laughs> but, you know, this is his own movie. This is directed by Lee Cronin. I never see any of his other work, but I will say that for this to be his first, I guess, big horror movie in, you know, our well-known genre, um, yeah. I think he did a good job, but I did have some problems with this movie, but I enjoyed it overall. I absolutely loved it. So what I'm about to say next is going to confuse a lot of people. If I were to rank the Evil Dead movies, this is in last place. You said it it would be in last place. Yes. Okay. 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 And people are going to be like, Austin, you just said you loved it. And I do. Because Evil Dead don't miss. No, they're all great. (laughs) They're all great in their own way. They are all four stars or above. Okay. And to me, a four star is A tier for Mm -hmm. me. I would consider my star rankings, four stars is A tier, three stars is B tier, um, two stars is C tier, one star is D tier, and then you have to be truly abysmal for me to put you in the F tier. Okay. <laughs> oh, and then the five star is S tier, which you have okay. to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. To, so I don't give a lot of fives. I don't give a lot of zeros. I give way more fives than I give zeros because I love movies. Same here. But I feel like a lot of people, when they see the three star, to me, to me three stars really good like a two star is average yeah 2.5 is average a three is like a b to me three and a half is a b plus right but i feel like when people see three like they get like kind of like the american public school like 90 and up is a 80 and up is b 70 and up is C. So they see mm. the three and it's like, oh, that's a C. I guess you didn't yeah. really like it. <laughs> right. They're like, like three. Ooh, what was wrong with it? What? I'm like, no, three is actually really good. <laughs> yeah. You know? I try to explain it to people a lot. And I, I, and I feel like the, the general consensus is most people 
they kind of rate movies the same way they would you would like in school grading system mm-hmm. when that's not real like people going rotten to oh it only got 70 percent a 70 percent's really good 70 percent of critics thought this was a good movie right or at least a decent movie I have mm-hmm. my own issues with Rotten Tomatoes, but that's a <laughs> whole different conversation. Same here. <laughs> so it's but for me, me personally, I think three stars are good. So if I'm handing out four stars, these are great movies, in my opinion. Yeah, same here. If you look on my letterbox, <laughs> a lot of my movies is like three and a half and up. Um, some people even judge like why you rate like you know this movie a five and this one like a four and a half you must really and i'm like you know what if i enjoy the movie me i because this is my letterbox (laughs) if i enjoy the movie i'm going to give it a four or four and a half and maybe even a five because i thought it was amazing it can be the most trashiest movie that came out in the 80s that everybody hate if i loved it i'm going to give it a high score because that's just how i feel you know like and i'm and yes i may recognize how bad the movie is or how trashy it is but maybe i enjoyed it for some reason you know maybe i recognized the trash um how trash the movie is and yeah the movie knows that's what it is and now i'm having fun with it and i had a good time and it's memorable and i can rewatch it it's going to get a high score for me you know i'm not going to look at it like oh this oh, yeah. is be like avatar or the titanic like no i'm not going to look at like yeah if it's if it's good like those movies sure but if i had a good time with it i'm going to give it a five stars like i gave this is not horror but in the 90s i was a huge spice girl fan and i love the movie spice world and if you look on my letterbox that movie is a five <laughs> the movie is bad <laughs> it's all over the place it doesn't even have a plot if you really watch it but guess what i love that movie so much i had a good time it's funny it's camp and that movie has five stars from me so you know everybody can rate their movies how they want to um but going back to your point just because something gets like a three or a three and a half doesn't mean that it's bad so i just right. want to put that out there like you did and I'm the same way. Um, if I like love a movie, I will give it that. Fi- like if it's a movie that I will watch multiple times in a year, or I think it's just life changing in some way, I will give it a five star. Mm-hmm. I don't give them out that often, but I do have plenty of films that are five stars. And while you were bringing up like the Spice Girls, I looked up my letterbox real quickly and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put all my five stars, bring them up um, through the app with, and I'm going to sort them by average rating. I'm going to sort, sort it lowest to highest and see what the, what film has the lowest average rating that I gave Mm. a five star. And it was Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I'm like, that movie was fucking awesome i love that movie i had such a good time with it you talking about the one that came out a few years ago right on HBO yeah Max? like the yeah. first yeah the first movie to come out in theaters post pandemic or yes. like yes. during the pandemic yeah. yes yeah, yeah i love that movie. and then after that it's like the number two is uh steven spielberg's war of the worlds like that and one. then they have the ring they have the ring really low in my opinion wow 
I was, you know, what's funny? I was watching that movie earlier. I was just watching the rain because it was on Pluto TV. And Pluto TV, if you guys don't know, um, Pluto TV is a free uh streaming service. You can download the app and it's free. They got free movies on demand, and they got and that app has like TV shows and um even movie like TV shows and like cartoons and stuff. They all have like their own channels. Like for for instance um horror got its own channel so that means they will probably have a screen marathon um if you want to go the comedic route cara burnett she has her own channel so if you're a fan of cara burnett and you want to watch and laugh all the way through you can go on cara burnett channel and there you go you know nick tunes got their own channel seller moon got his own channel so if you're a fan of seller moon watch seller moon all day so i love pluto tv because you know it have that and i forgot where i was going with this Bye, bro. <laughs> what were you saying? You you said I something was just that saying, made me, yeah that made me mention it. Uh, the ring. Oh yeah, the ring. So I'm sorry. Yeah, the ring was on today, and I was watching it on Pluto TV because they were playing part one and part two. And I remember when I first seen that movie growing um not growing up, but I was like in eighth grade when that movie came out. And um, that's that growing movie up. Scarred me. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. I was like what 13, 14. So yeah, I consider. Once you're once you graduate high school, then that's no longer growing up. That's True. finding yourself. I don't know how it's different, but it is. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, technically, you're still. I hope you all enjoyed those little snippets and that you consider becoming a patron. It would mean the world to me. And if not, no worries. The fact that you listen to this show, that means the world to me. Like, thank you. Thank you so much. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing to random music I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, slashers. We're talking about slashers. It's all about slashers. I hope you like slashers, because we are talking slashers. And you know this podcast, Tangents Galore. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.